here, except that the Senate seems to be going first. Uh, Senator Durbin has a bill that is uh, a more ambitious change in the bankruptcy laws, but not as nearly tailored as the one I introduced, along with Linda Sanchez, uh, not as nearly tailored to the foreclosure problem that we have around us. Uh, and I think we're all going to watch and see what happens on the Senate side. And, and as part of a, of a bigger package of, uh, of fixes addressed at the uh, foreclosure from your um, assessment of uh, of the mood of the House, do you do you believe if you had the bill on the House floor that you would have the votes to get it passed? I don't know. And the the, the Washington uh, political trade rag, Politico, the Hill, have been uh, trying to look for any signal. It's a, it's a hotly contested issue. The entire financial services committee, uh, excuse me, financial services industry is just adamantly opposed to it. They don't like bankruptcy generally, as you probably know. Right. Um, they, they do not agree with Jefferson that the governments were instituted among men to secure certain illegal rights. They believe the governments were instituted among men to secure the payment of debt. <laughs> um, and so they hate bankruptcy, and they have all been working hard against it. There is not a similar lobbying effort uh, or similarly, power, similarly powerful effort uh, the consumer groups, of course, were all for it, uh, all for the bill. The civil rights groups, the ACP, Urban League, La Raza, uh, National Conference of Civil Rights, all those organizations are strongly for it, AARP, um, uh, and generally the labor movement is for it, um, but not with the same kind of uh, intensity as they are, say, for instance, organizing issues. Uh, so it's, it's a big fight, and I'm not sure how it would go right now. When you were home on the district work period, uh, did this issue come up? Uh, I think people in North Carolina know that this is an issue I've worked on a lot and that I have really kind of pushed the forefront on. Uh, but, it, uh, yes, we did one or two events that, are, that was around um, lending issues generally. Uh, but North Carolina does not have as bad a problem as some parts of the country for a couple of reasons. One is that we've had fairly, you know, reasonably good uh, consumer protection laws in effect since 1999, uh, and the, the mortgage market just really went to hell in 2005, 2006. But so we had uh, consumer protection laws in place uh, before uh, things really got bad in subprime, with subprime lending. And then second, uh, North Carolina has had not had the diminution in value not had the bubble burst mm -hmm. in the same way that, say, Washington has or San Francisco, <clears throat> or nor have we had the, uh, the, the kind of political, uh, excuse me, economic downturn uh, that some other parts of the country have had. Uh, Florida, another example, right. a very hot uh, uh, home a market for homes, real estate market, uh, that has had a serious contraction. And where people are really stuck in mortgages they can't get out of, they can't sell their home because their home is not as much as, as the mortgage, that they're underwater, um, tend, to, tend to be in those uh, markets that have that were so hot for a while um, and have really contracted. Right, right. Now, short of um, a legislative uh, response uh, to this uh, problem, the, the government, um, uh, particularly the Treasury Department, has been working with uh, mortgage lenders 
uh, and others and has proposed a variety of programs to help uh, troubled homeowners and borrowers. Um, and they come under various uh, uh, shorthand names, Hope Now, Project Lifeline, uh, uh, programs that either uh, provide a temporary interest rate freeze, a 30-day foreclosure freeze, expanded government loan authority, uh, and, and the like. Um, these proposals have been uh, criticized, uh, at least a, bit, a little bit, as uh, too little, too late. Um, would you, how would you uh, characterize uh, uh, that uh, criticism? Would you agree with it or disagree with it? I do. The New York Times, in an editorial last fall, uh, criticized the Bush plan as, as too little, too late, and too voluntary. Uh, the borrower, the homeowners, have absolutely no rights. Uh, it is all what um, the lenders and their benevolence, they agree to. Uh, and the evidence is that uh, they're not agreeing to very much, or, or they're obviously what they agree to is entirely driven by what's in their own, what's in their interest, and uh, not much concern or no concern at all for the for the interest of the of, uh, of homeowners. Mm -hmm. Short of uh, of Congress acting, however, and you've already alluded to the the challenges of getting a bill all the way around the bases when the uh, home mortgage lending community is is so aligned uh, against it. Um, aren't these uh, proposals, administration proposals, um, uh, whether they come from the Fed or Treasury Department or wherever, uh, isn't that about the only thing that can be done in the in the short term until uh, legislation can be passed? So what has been introduced with great fanfare as a plan seems to be just exactly what uh, the industry ought to be doing anyway in their own interest. It's clearly in their interest. Um, and it, and it essentially is setting out the, the circumstances in which it makes complete sense uh, economically for lender or lenders or whoever owns, whoever has the mortgage, the mortgage E, uh, to um, uh, to negotiate. Uh, there again, there is absolutely no right uh, given to or recognized by, by the borrower. Uh, so it's hard to see uh, how it's really a plan. Uh, I know that you're a lawyer, and everyone everyone who hears this probably is a lawyer as well. Uh, there was that great footnote when you studied torts, uh, the doctrine of race if the loquitur, mm -hmm. uh, where some commentator said, if there wasn't a Latin word for this, I'm not sure we'd call it the doctrine. It is so self-evident. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the same is true of this. If, if, if the Bush administration didn't need to have a press conference and announce they're doing something, it'd be hard to call it a plan. Mm-hmm. Why uh, do you think that bankruptcy is the best option? It, it gives rights to people. It doesn't require benevolence. Uh, and it would make very uh, clear what a bankruptcy court would do and what happened in the mid-1980s when we, when we adopted Chapter 12. I say we, I wasn't in Congress then, but when Congress adopted Chapter 12 of the bankruptcy code uh, to give almost identical provisions for um, for family farms, uh, what happened was a few family farmers filed bankruptcy and had their the mortgages on the family farm modified, and a great many more lenders agreed to modify uh, based upon what 
the bankruptcy court would do. Uh, and I think the same thing would happen if we pass this. Uh, the estimates are, both by the consumer groups and by Moody's, that about uh, half a million or 600,000 American families would, would save their homes would otherwise lose their homes to foreclosure. Uh, I am uh, familiar with the Chapter 12 uh, period, that's for sure. Um, as I was, uh, at the time, a counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee um, under Senator Grassley when we got uh, Chapter 12 um, enacted. And I can recall, certainly uh, during that period, that uh, it was uh, controversial, certainly with the lending community. And, and uh, we were urged to uh, consider a number of, of, of uh, changes um, along the way. We, we included a sunset provision. And, um, and we're also in, uh, 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 urged to consider some other provisions, such as a, a concept of shared appreciation, so that in this case, when home values rebounded, as certainly one would expect they would, given the cyclical nature of of home values, that both borrowers and lenders could could benefit from the anticipated upswing down the road when you're talking about a restructuring for an additional 30-year uh, mortgage that would uh, reduce the sort of scope of the haircut, if you will, as part of the strip down. Uh, as I said, that was certainly urged upon us back in the mid-1980s, um, and I'm wondering if, if you considered it as, as a part of uh, the changes um, uh, this time. The, the shared, what did you call it again? Shared appreciation. Shared appreciation. Uh, I think that there's some discussion on the Senate side right now of a similar concept, and some of the critics, uh, industry critics, have uh, made the very argument that this would be horribly unjust because if home mortgages, uh, excuse me, if, if home values go up, um, a, uh, a homeowner who's gone into bankruptcy and had their mortgage reduced to the value of the home at that point would have a windfall um, as as if going into bankruptcy is a is a light something to be considered lightly as is um, is something easy uh, and trouble free to do. Um, I think that is being considered right now. I think um, those the advocates for the bill would prefer just a cleaner bill, mm-hmm. like what passed in 1986 for mm-hmm. family farms. Right. Um, but we've already shown that we are willing to compromise. To get right. At least right. Now. Right. I should hasten to add, we didn't adopt the shared appreciation uh, concept uh, back in, in 1986. And, well, and, the, and the industry folks who argue for that uh, really are the same arguments would apply with respect to every other uh, secured interest in, in real property or anything that's capable of appreciating. But it would only apply for home work. Right, right, correct. Um, what about the... Um, uh, not all borrowers are obviously uh, come to the, uh, the status uh, uh, situation that they're in uh, equally. Um, uh, could there not be uh, cases of borrowers who um, repeatedly uh, equity stripped uh, on the value of their home by and thus adding uh, more to their total debt and essentially gambling that this particular investment, their their home, would always rise as it had over the previous, 
whatever, five to seven to, to ten years. In other words, is every is every borrower viewed as a victim um, under the under the mortgage modification bill, deserving deserving of this protection? Uh, that if you meet the financial requirements for bankruptcy, you're entitled to the relief. But um, you and everyone who hears this podcast knows better than I do exactly what is involved in being in a Chapter 13 bankruptcy. Uh, it is, um, it is uh, five years of having your life controlled by someone else, uh, and you're stuck with bankruptcy for, you can't file again for how long is it? Uh, some considerable time, it affects your credit forever. Right. Um, and during the five years that you're under supervision, um, it is a remarkably intrusive, uh, it, it really seems to be like a, a, uh, a financial equivalent of a prostate exam that lasts for five years. Right, right. It has been um, uh, suggested, uh, certainly, that the fears about a flood of Chapter 13 filings caused by the uh, proposal uh, are, in fact, uh, overblown, as you would suggest, since, as you pointed out, most debtors facing foreclosure wouldn't necessarily want to live under a Chapter 13 plan for three to five years. And um, but, more, but more would be modified outside of bankruptcy. We have succeeded in changing the tax laws now to eliminate some of the tax consequences of right. loan right. forgiveness. Um, modified voluntarily outside of bankruptcy, and, and we, I think we've paved the way for it to happen. Uh, we've we've started to do what we can, um, but industry has not really done much to modify mortgages voluntarily. And, and what they've modified is, is obviously in their immediate direct self-interest. There's very little um, that they've done that is based upon a sense of uh, the public good or any acknowledgement that maybe their their lending practices mm-hmm. or their business practices contributed to the problem. Right. So the 600,000 number then represents both people who would be in bankruptcy uh, through Chapter 13 to take advantage explicitly of the provision, but others who would be saved by virtue of what the mere availability of Chapter 13 is. The- I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are two estimates that I know of. One is the Center for Responsible Lending, which is a consumer group, uh, and they estimate that about 2.2 million American families are going to lose their homes to foreclosure, I think, last year. And right. This year, and, and about 600,000 of those would not lose their homes uh, if Congress passed this change in the law. Moody's, um, which I think can't be uh, dismissed as a consumer, as, a, as having a, a point of view <coughs> in the way that CRL is by, by some of the industry side, um, estimates two million, and uh, and that about half a million of those would, would keep their homes. If people just flat can't afford their homes, if if they've got more house than they can afford, and they can't afford based on their income to pay a mortgage that is a conventional loan plus a couple um, for the full value of their home, they don't get to keep. It. You know, it really is only the people who could pay a fair mortgage. Um, a reasonable mortgage, not a predatory mortgage, um, that that really would would be benefited from from the, the change of the law. Mm-hmm. You um, uh, mentioned that uh, alluded to North Carolina uh, being in uh, the vanguard, if you will, of consumer protection laws and the, uh, the debtor-creditor relationship. They're 
particularly active in areas such as payday lending, mm -hmm. uh, for example, and you served in the state <laughs> legislature. Um, do you think states uh, can do more in in this area, um, perhaps by way of a moratorium on uh, mortgage foreclosures or a requirement for a mandatory mediation or workouts as a way to facilitate this kind of bargaining that has to occur practically between borrower and lender? I, I don't know. I haven't focused too much on what the states can do. I know the states uh, do vary. Um, you know, a lot of states have anti-deficiency statutes, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, but I have not really thought through carefully what uh, what can be done at the state level. Um, I guess I guess the theory would be, um, and this was also true back in the mid '80s in the Chapter 12 environment, that a number of states in the Midwest passed mandatory uh, mediation laws and very short-term uh, moratorium on foreclosures and. And that, too, uh, again, sort of brought uh, people to a kind of a cooling-off period uh, where they could uh, engage in the kind of economic reality um, that, that your bill, I think, recognizes, which is the economic reality is if you foreclose on this property, you're only going to get, you know, a certain amount. It's, you know, a half or two-thirds of what the uh, mortgage value says it is, plus You'll have all the associated costs of the of the foreclosure, and then the related diminution of value and properties around it. And this is a way to simply uh, encourage people to think in those pure economic terms, as you were talking about earlier. Sure, I think that's right. I think that um, uh, any kind of moratorium like that, um, although you wonder what will happen after the moratorium is over, but it does, as you point out, it does serve as a cooling off period, and the lender has to have to face the reality of what, what they really can recover. Right. I mean, some, some uh, measure to uh, bring that uh, to a head, whether it's by, uh, by way of, you know, state law or federal law, uh, you know, especially in this environment where it's just so difficult in an election year in particular to try to get something, you know, through both the House and the Senate that's the same or can be easily conferenced, um, especially in the Senate where, you know, virtually it takes 60 votes to do anything. Um, it's just it's just very it's very difficult to uh, pass um, something that's in a robust way going to address the problem. And this is certainly not the only thing, we need to do, uh, well, but I think it would be a big help. And and a lot of families lose their homes. Right. Uh, even if this passes, a lot of families lose their homes. Uh, one of the other things that Congress needs to do. Reform the lending practices that got us to where we are. Mm -hmm. And looking closely at the kinds of lending that happened, the kinds of loans that got made in 2005 and 2006, um, lending is in, in dire need of reform. Mm -hmm. Now, the House has passed legislation in that area as well. Right. Um, um, yes, and it's not it's not a perfect bill. It also mm -hmm. is a, a subject of, of um, or the product of compromise, uh, mm -hmm. which a, a, a process that I generally support although I'm not entirely happy with all the all that was compromised in that bill. But looking at what happened in 2005 and 2006, uh, subprime loans went from being 8% of mortgage loans in, in 2003 to 28%, according to the Wall Street Journal, more than half, like 55% of the people who, who got subprime loans qualified for prime loans. So they, they, you know, they really just 
put their trust in the wrong person that they ended up in those loans. Uh, 90% were adjustable rate with a quick adjustment and a very substantial adjustment, uh, usually a 30 to 50% increase in monthly payment, which put making the monthly payment completely out of reach. All right. the, the lenders, need, those were loans that were designed to fail. Those were loans that were not to be designed, that were not designed to be paid off in full. They were designed to be, uh, to, to require the borrower to be back on the doorstep of the lender again in two or three years to take out another loan so that as the housing values continue to depreciate, um, the lenders would get the value of the depreciation, not the homeowners, by uh, requiring that people refinance to get out of their last loan, paying a prepayment penalty in almost every case to get out of the last loan and, and substantial points and fees to get into the next one. Uh, and as, as housing values increase, there were a lot of families that were trapped into a cycle of borrowing that just stripped from them all of that value. Uh, instead of becoming part of their net worth, uh, it went to the financial uh, services sector. If you had to make a prediction um, with regard to the, the legislation, um, what would be what would be your sense of trying to get something done this this Congress in this election year? I think the pressure will only grow. Uh, I think it's going to get worse next month. The month of March will be the, the peak of the of the recess. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as, as I'm sure you know well, the um, foreclosures won't really start for uh, three or four months after the, the mortgage becomes on four, three months, four months, five months, six months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it will only get worse, the, the ripple through the economy, uh, the, the effect on consumer spending, uh, as people realize their property value is much less. Um, a lot of people aren't telling their family and friends of the circumstances they're in because they feel embarrassed. Right. Um, uh, but I think the effect will grow. And, uh, and it's become harder and harder uh, to do what the industry uh, do what industry says. When you, particularly if you look at the industry practices that got us here in the first place. Right. Well, the uh, the ABI isn't an advocacy group, as you know, but we're certainly following the debate uh, intently and trying to keep our eleven thousand plus members informed about. Uh, where Congress is um, on this uh, very important legislation. And, and uh, bankruptcy practitioners and judges uh, have played a, a big role, have been a big help in, in uh, developing the legislation, kind of thinking through the compromises and how they would work. Uh, so it's, it's, I've turned to the expertise of the bankruptcy bar uh, frequently. I understand. Uh, Congressman, we are about uh, out of time for today. You are a most persuasive advocate for this change in the bankruptcy law. We wish you good luck in the legislative process, and thanks especially for being with us on ABI Podcast today. Thank you very much. We thank our audience for listening as well. You can browse our full menu of nearly 50 podcasts at abiworld.org. And so until next time, this is Sam Giordano of the American Bankruptcy Institute saying good day.